0: That's myflexlearning.com forward slash B E. Welcome in everybody to another episode of the Authority Podcast here on the B Podcast Network. Thanks so much for joining us for this conversation today. My guest is Allison Rodman. Allison is the founder and chief learning officer of the Learning Loop. Learning Loop is an education consulting organization that provides professional learning design, facilitation, and leadership coaching to districts, schools, nonprofits, and businesses internationally. Her work focuses on adult learners, and she brings experience as a teacher, instructional coach, school leader, director of teaching and learning, director of professional learning, and a board member. Allison's latest book is called Still Learning, Strengthening Professional and Organizational Capacity. It's published by ASCD. It just came out recently. And Allison, welcome to the show.
1: Thanks so much, Ross. I'm super excited to be here.
0: Yeah, excellent. So let's start here. What's, what's the, the big idea behind this book?
1: So when my um, previous book came out in 2019 that focused on personalized professional learning, leaders said, this is great, but we need even more support. And for some of them, that support looked like helping facilitators as, you know, whether they're teacher leaders or building leaders to design better professional learning. And then sort of on the other end of the spectrum, others said, you know what, we just need more support around learning culture. We spend so much time thinking about the learning culture for our students, and we need to continue thinking about what that looks like for adults in our spaces. So particularly given that we look to educators to be model learners for students, this particular book looks at how we can support educators at the individual, the team, and the organizational level to continue their own learning, to strengthen their own capacity, both individually and collectively.
0: And I I know there is a lot of data that you looked at around best practices for educator capacity building. Is there anything in particular that stood out and contributed to either the topics you chose to focus on in the book or the way you ended up structuring the book?
1: Absolutely. So I think we've given some attention to the team spaces, right? How do we facilitate professional learning communities? What does it look like for grade level teams or departments to interact together? I don't think we've given as much attention to the individual components as a learner in terms of knowing yourself and and how you grow and what drives and motivates you, as well as how you set your own goals and align your tasks day to day to to meet those goals. And then similarly, kind of at the other end, going beyond the team to think about from a school-wide or a district-wide perspective, what does it really mean to grow as a learning ecosystem and not just this, this individual collection of teams?
0: Yeah, and and you know a big piece of the book that is unique is is the emphasis and the focus on educators social emotional well-being development growth and you write about how of course there's a lot of focus and prioritization around uh, SEL for students but not as much for the educators themselves why do you think that that is so infrequently prioritize
1: education as a profession has traditionally been hallmarked as a very busy job right you're constantly moving you're constantly multitasking managing the needs of varying students with all so many different needs as well as different courses and classes and periods It is truly a profession of busyness, yet what's ironic in all of that is when we talk about student learning and we talk about helping students to track their own progress over time and to see how much they've grown, a critical component of that is stillness and reflection. Helping students to create that space, to step back and to understand where they've come from yet we don't do that for the educators in our spaces. So it was really critical for me sort of in a play on words with the title with with still learning to think about what does it mean to help educators be that constant learning but to uh, be that constant learner but also elevate within the profession the value of stillness, that it's okay to pause, it's okay to stop and reflect and think about what's truly going to move you and your students to the next level, that not everything needs to be this constant flurry of, of busyness.
0: Yeah, well, let's talk about that more, that intentional reflection, right, in the stillness as you phrased it. How what, what does that look like a little bit more? And, and how critical is it? Right? Because there is that constant motion and between what's happening in the classroom and between the other professional learning and, and between what's happening at home, uh, right? That, that reflection doesn't just necessarily happen naturally, or even if it does in those moments where you're, say, on your commute or something, right? By the time you get where you're going, then your mind is back to whatever it's on and and there's not necessarily an opportunity to have to download your takeaways and and plan a follow through. So that intentional reflection and building that into one's practice, what what's the importance of that?
1: When I think about that, I think it has three major components. We've got to think about it on the systemic level, right? So how are we building into our bell schedules, our team meetings, our agendas, areas of focus, time for reflection and thoughtfulness as much as we are the next strategy or plan or action tool. It's got to happen at the relational level. So being vulnerable enough to have conversations peer to peer and say, I need space for this, or I need you to help me prioritize, or can we connect and be accountable accountability partners for each other in a real and authentic way. And then it also happens at the individual level not feeling guilty, taking 10 minutes to take a deep breath in the middle of the day, to be able to engage in a calm meditation or to take that time for reflection, recognizing that that's going to be as restorative as running more copies at the copy machine. But sometimes I think in education, we carry with us that, that sense of guilt that those moments of both self and community care are not worth the same as some of the other things that can consume our schedules.
0: In my work, I've collaborated directly with hundreds of educators to support their success. Do you know which of their ed tech frustrations comes up time and again? The sheer number of tools out there and the difficulty of knowing which ones schools like theirs are using to get results. IXL is different. Not only does it perform the functions of dozens of tools, It's currently delivering results for one in four U.S. students, including those in 95 of the top 100 districts. Another major pain point that comes up? When a school is excited to implement a new tool only to find out the teachers hate it. Yikes. It helps to know that IXL is loved and trusted by more than 1 million teachers, saving them time on prep work while enabling them to better support student learning. IXL is research proven to accelerate achievement. Studies across 45 states show that IXL schools outperform non IXL schools on state assessments. And independent research from Johns Hopkins University verifies that IXL meets ESSA Tier 1 standards. With those results combined with IXL's teacher friendly reputation, what more could you ask for? If you have a goal to increase achievement for all students, Make sure to find out what IXL can do for you. Visit ixl.com forward slash BE for a demo. That's ixl.com forward slash BE. Over the past few years, including the pandemic and a variety of other things going on, there's been a lot of need for ongoing learning, a lot of changes, things that have that change temporarily, things that change permanently. Were there certain things that you looked at over over that period that were indicative of the need for educators to be quote unquote, still learning or, or also that define like what that learning can and should look like moving forward?
1: Absolutely. So, what's interesting about this particular work is it was first outlined in the fall of 2019. So that need sort of emerged, and in spring 2019, we went through an initial outline, and then, as you noted, the needs continued to evolve and change and shift. And I think we felt that for our students. And most notably, as we look at some of our current hiring challenges and teacher shortages, we've certainly felt that across teacher and leader positions in our schools, that the needs both for individuals within the profession, as well as those even considering the profession, have continued to to evolve and shift. So an important part of this work for me was not only monitoring some of that and understanding how the nature of education had shifted from A format perspective, right? So virtual learning, hybrid learning, face-to-face learning, but also just the interconnectivity of that. Relationships, personal and professional, became that much more important. Understanding our goals and, and what drives us became that much more important during this time. So part of the work for me was not only keeping up with with some of that research and monitoring the shifts, but I actually returned to my prior school where I was an administrator for a few days a week to offer additional support and really understand what it was like to be a teacher and a leader on the ground during that time. And I think as we continue to sort of come out of this space, right, this is kind of our, I don't want to say a return to normal, but more of kind of a a recentering, if you will, it's been really interesting to think in the professional learning space, particularly what elements have stayed the same. The fact that we absolutely need to upskill teachers and leaders in terms of strategies and be as practical as possible in, in our workshops, but also what components have shifted and continue to shift. So thinking about the need for that connection, for helping folks to feel that sense of peer-to-peer support as much as they might need the next strategy or the next activity for class.
0: Yeah. Is there anything that stood out as far as what, what teachers are looking for and thinking like potentially as, as far as relative to their, their experience level or generationally, right. And teachers that are newer to the profession and, and one might have particular learning needs relative to their inexperience, but also generationally might have an interest in certain types of authentic learning and what it means to them to be able to grow and advance in their profession versus your 30 and 40 year teachers who already probably have a relatively set expectation of what professional learning looks like or what they feel like they need.
1: Absolutely. So I think teachers with greater levels of experience are looking for that productive team, right, where they can come into the space and know what one another um, needs and how they can support one another. So whether that's through co-planning or sharing really strong instructional practices those who have sort of been in the game for a while see the value of that and that connection and and that team experience. And then for some of our newer professionals, I'm seeing this need for flexibility to be able to kind of tap in and tap out to learning, to get on-demand opportunities because their schedules are a little bit all over the place as they try and balance the demands of, of being new to the field and trying to understand what it looks like to really manage their schedule in a way that's both productive, but also sustaining. So throughout the book, there are five disciplines that that really anchor this work across the self through organizational level. And the discipline that's explored in chapter two, the one focused on alignment, really continues to emerge as an area of specific interest for educators. So looking at to what degree are you setting really strong personal and professional goals for yourself? And how does your day-to-day practice align towards attaining those goals, right? So I think it's easy to kind of step back and say, oh, we we need to be better time managers, or we need to learn a few strategies here and there. But in some ways, it's not just about managing time. It's also about managing self and and the goal setting that, that goes along with that. So while I am seeing some of the generational gaps in terms of what's valuable on the professional learning front. I believe that core discipline of alignment continues to emerge as one that's been critical across both um, positions as well as experience levels.
0: Yeah. So you mentioned alignment being one of those five core disciplines around which the book is built. Would you like to give a a brief overview of of the other four, just so listeners kind of get a sense of what those are?
1: Absolutely. So the first discipline is that of attunement really understanding oneself as a learner and having that individual come to full light within your workspace, right? So being able to say, yes, this is how I learn best. And this is who I am in terms of both my static, as well as my dynamic identity. And I'm able to show up fully to work as a fulfilled professional who can be the best possible version of oneself. So it walks through particular strategies as well as different personality profiles and strengths indicators that educators can use to get to know themselves better as learners. So often we work with educators to get to know their students, but we find that ironically, and in this profession, we don't always know ourselves. So helping them to really understand their true sense of self and then bring that full self to, to the workplace. As I mentioned, the second discipline is that of alignment. So walking through kind of the goal setting processes as well as then developing some strategies so that the day-to-day actions you're taking are directly aligned to those goals and you're using your time as intentionally as possible. moving from the self to the team level the third discipline really looks at perspective so how are we creating communities that understand one another's perspective spaces that are safe at the team level to share what we're seeing in our classroom or different strategies that we found to be effective or our own personal experiences and then being able over time when appropriate to shift our perspective, whether that be around something like a grading policy or a particular assessment practice, recognizing that as a field, the research that we do and the work that we do continues to evolve and and we count on one another as learners with varied perspectives to, to continue to push that work forward. The fourth discipline is collective efficacy, really looking at how do we move beyond the self level to the team and organizational level to recognize our progress over time and demonstrate not only a unifying focus to get better together, but a growth mindset to work through challenges that we experience along the way. And then finally, the fifth discipline is that of organizational learning. So how do we move beyond just responding to technical challenges or meeting some of the adaptive opportunities that are there, but instead really digging into the generative spaces that exist for us in learning right now at the student level, but also the adult level to stop saying we've always done it this way and start really asking the big questions around what if or could we or what might this look like
0: right And, and so back with within the attunement piece that first one part of what you write about is is identity and in particular um there's a piece about creating more harmony between one's personal and professional identities and finding out what parts of your personal identity aren't present professionally and, and so on. And while I, I, that's not unique to the education profession, there's certain aspects of it right, that have particular resonance, I think, with educators. How did you kind of decide to, to focus in on that? And what are you know some of the elements there that are worth thinking about?
1: So, one of the things that I was finding as we were looking at educators who continued to experience higher and higher levels of burnout is that for many of them, some of their energy was getting lost, having to filter or code switch or change between some of those personal and professional profiles. And in some cases, it was because they didn't fully understand who they were. And in other cases, it was a matter of they were not in a learning community that was the best fit for them personally. So helping educators first and foremost to really understand themselves as a person and as a learner. It's interesting to me that in so many of the business spaces we engage in 360 reviews and we take all of these personality indicators and strengths profile assessments yet in a in a profession committed to learning that's just not a part of our regular practice. So helping to sort of raise the awareness of some of those tools for educators so that they can better understand themselves as learners and then feel comfortable having the tough conversations so that they can be themselves as much as they possibly can within their school community so that we're modeling that you know ongoing development of inclusion and a sense of belonging not just for our students but for our educators as well
0: and now a quick break for a word from our sponsor myflex learning Let's talk about flex time in schools, the potential benefits to our students make it totally worth exploring. There's more time for personalized learning, increased choice and agency for students and the increased engagement that comes along with it, dedicated time for intervention. And overall, as school leaders, it provides you and your faculty more tools to increase academic achievement. But the implementation and management of flex time can be a challenge tricky logistics and a lack of clear accountability systems can prevent teachers from buying in It can hold you back from ensuring students make good use of their time. That's why I'm pleased to share that MyFlex Learning provides a solution to these challenges and more. MyFlex Learning helps you create and manage flexible time for any purpose. And with the seamless SIS integration, a student locator, flexible daily rostering, and intuitive mobile app, It eliminates the common challenges of implementation and management. If you want to see for yourself, visit MyFlexLearning.com forward slash BE to learn more and receive $500 off the first year of use. That's MyFlexLearning.com forward slash BE. You'll learn all about MyFlexLearning, what it can do for your school, and you'll receive a $500 off offer for your first year. Check it out. Yeah, and, and you did write about the... Enneagram personality assessment and how that might inform individuals, teams, colleagues around their, their relative inclinations and strengths and and collaboration styles. How, how might that come into play or be useful to educator teams and kind of understanding how to be effective as a, as a unit?
1: Certainly. So later in the book, I talk about the importance of mentors, not just mentors in the traditional sense of this person is this at the same grade level as I am, or this person is in the same department as I am, but instead thinking about the variety of mentor roles that individuals within a school community can, can take on for one another. And one of the things that I have found for myself professionally is that by understanding who I am as a learner and utilizing thought partners and mentors who have either similar profiles in in particular cases or very different profiles, I'm able to push myself in, in different ways. So for example, one of my own accountability partners is another professional with the same Enneagram as myself. And because of that, we understand some of the things that motivate one another and are able to use that as a lever to not only push ourselves individually, but to be stronger as as a unit. And I think that individual sense of self-awareness, but also then bringing that to the team setting where we can think about the different ways that we partner folks together as mentors or the ways that we construct our teams to be as effective as possible is really, really important.
0: Uh, and, I, and I think that also, I guess, can bridge uh, a couple of <laughs> ideas over to, to perspective and perspective taking, which you write about being transformational learning in that piece. Can you define those a little more for listeners, what you mean by perspective, perspective taking, what that would look like, how that takes place in the, the professional setting and, and why it is so transformational?
1: Absolutely. So when you think about perspective within the field of psychology, they talk about a shift in perspective has to be catalyzed by a disorienting experience. So this is why so often we hear folks say post-pandemic, oh, it completely shifted my perspective about things. Or if someone has a a tragedy in in their life or is close to someone who has, it often shifts their, their perspective. So this was unique in that, we had to think about what does it mean to intentionally shift perspective without the experience being completely disorienting, right? We we don't want things to necessarily be tragic in education, but it's important for us to recognize how ingrained some of our systems are and how in need they are of not just a refresh, but in some cases, a complete shift. So when we talk about perspective in in a school-based and educational setting, What we're really looking for are individuals to share some of their experiences with student learning, with their own professional learning, and then dig into data together to say, is there merit here? Is there an opportunity to shift the way that we've thought about how we construct our grading policies, how we design assessments, what our classroom environments look like, what parts of our system continue to serve us well? And where are elements that we might bring some data to the table for one another to really shift that perspective and and start asking those questions around, could it look this way or what would happen if we move things in this direction?
0: Yeah, I feel like one of the ways this idea came up recently on on this podcast is, you know, in relation to the statements that schools should be designed around students right? around the needs of students as the priority versus around teachers versus around administrators with the relative priority order diminishing there which i think a lot of people would hear and say that's that doesn't sound controversial and yet if you actually step back and look at the perspective okay well how were they designed how was this the structure of education design the school day the way schools function like was it actually designed that way why was it designed how it is when was it designed and find that you know what there's a lot of things here that we just take for granted that maybe should be rethought differently because they're not necessarily serving any particular purpose and it's useful to saying okay while well, each individual maybe you know, can't doesn't have the, the power to change the entire infrastructure of an entire system there's small parts within it That we might look at and say, why is this the way? And is this serving our learners? Is it not? And is there a way to do it differently? And you know, same thing with even within the profession, right? And understanding how a variety of professionals handle their roles and and how what the norms and expectations are and why those are what they are. And and you know, it's it is a good opportunity to to gain a new lens on things that previously were, they were almost invisible because they were just so (laughs)
1: static, right? Yeah, and I, I think we see this play out in physical spaces as much as we do some of our programmatic components, right? So COVID certainly challenged from a programmatic standpoint what teaching and learning look like at all levels. But now that we are fully back in school buildings and many of our buildings are 50, 60, 70 years old at this point, a lot of districts are asking these same questions around physical spaces too. And do we continue to build in an industrial age model that was so focused just on efficiency or do we utilize some of the research that we've uncovered in the past 20 to 30 years around brain research and, and really think about what could these these spaces look like? So when we talk about strengthening capacity for educators, yes, it's it's about thinking about their student spaces, but it's also thinking about both the culture and the physical spaces that we're designing for educators as well. Are they truly collaborative? Do they support them being able to connect and share and be in spaces where they're safe and can be vulnerable to talk about new practices in ways that can sometimes be difficult?
0: I'm wondering, I mean this may be, I don't know if this is a, a great way of phrasing this, but I'm wondering how do you how do you view the relationship between individual and organizational and the the endeavors around continuous learning, professional learning that might take place for an individual and all but also as compared to what an organization um, needs to be undertaking.
1: I think this is something that schools and districts, particularly, are struggling with as we continue to have personalized learning opportunities at so many different levels. So, one of the shifts that has been really positive is that technology, as well as the readability or access to particular resources, is so much stronger than it was. Decades ago where you would just have a single facilitator come in and and deliver a one day or a half day workshop to an entire staff. Now we have a whole host of virtual courses, online courses, opportunities to connect synchronously and and asynchronously in addition to a variety of on site options. So the opportunity to personalize learning and meet the needs of individual educators is absolutely there in a way that it has never been before. But as you noted, that creates this sort of, not conflict, but challenge, if you will, at the organizational level to determine, okay, yes, we want to personalize and we want to make sure that everyone's individual needs are met, but we also want to have a really strong collective culture. So what are the things that we continue to facilitate in a whole group setting? What are the messages that we continue to communicate holistically to make sure that even as we're supporting individual learners in a personalized way, we're continuing to row the boat, so to speak, in the same direction on behalf of our students.
0: Yeah. What, what do you feel educators, I mean, this could be of any role or or you could speak to multiple roles, whether it's teachers versus administrators, et cetera, but to this book, what, what do you think they're going to find most uncomfortable about what you're proposing?
1: It's a great question. I would say that this is not a book about quick fixes, and I am very honest about that in the introduction, and I come back to it again in the conclusion. Folks who are looking for like a one-day SEL workshop for educators, this is not one-and-done type of work. This is deep, sustained work that needs to happen at all levels. If we are truly going to create and reinvent, if you will, a profession that keeps educators in it for the long game. If we move beyond sort of the pseudo celebrations and the quick recharge opportunities of dress down days and donut days and all of those things, and instead ask the tough questions of what is it going to mean to not just build capacity, but strengthen it and continue to meet meet the demands of educators over time. The work is deep and it's it's real. Now, having sat in that leader position, I also understand the challenges that come with the limited time to, to engage in this type of work. So one of the things that I was incredibly intentional about throughout the book's design was including a wide variety of reflection tools, tools to guide individual capacity building as well as tools to guide organizational capacity building. And I wanted to make sure that readers at any level, whether you are an individual teacher, whether you're a team leader or a school or district leader, can quickly access those tools, download them, and have them ready to go for a professional learning engagement or a staff meeting. So one of the things integrated throughout the text are chapter or discipline-specific QR codes that take you to all of the tools in the book as editable PDFs, as well as a whole host of other tools that I've been continuing to add to as this work continues to shift and evolve. So while it's a static book in your hand, it's very much a dynamic resource as we continue to engage and, and grow in this work together.
0: Yeah. Is it is it possible to adequately support the whole child without supporting the whole educator?
1: I don't believe so. One of the things that Castle uncovered in some of their more recent research within the past few years is that, when they worked with districts who had been engaged in whole child and SEL work for over a decade, right? So this isn't work that had just kind of come out post pandemic or was a result of COVID, but these are districts that were deeply embedded in social emotional learning work for students for, for over a decade. And when they sat down with those district administrators and said, what do you wish you knew at the beginning? What would have changed your perspective? And almost unanimously, all of these district leaders said, we wish we would have started with the adults first, recognizing them as these model learners for students and understanding the importance of building their capacity as just important as building our students' capacity.
0: Yeah. I mean, I would think at the very least, there must be, you know, in organizations where that's, that's not happening, right? There, there must be a a lot of dissonance that undermines the goals of of the social emotional learning program for the kids. When the educators are in the middle of it, feeling as though like, well, clearly my needs are are not being addressed at all here or even really considered. It's kind of, it it puts you in sort of a confused headspace (laughs) with respect to, okay, what are we really believing in here as far as our organizational mission and our values?
1: Absolutely, and you know, it's been interesting engaging in this work with educators at a variety of different levels and to see what some of the big takeaways have, have been for them. As I noted earlier, that discipline of alignment has continued to merge emerge, but also just that understanding that we get to be learners too. I had a superintendent come up to me after a session a number of months ago, and he said, thank you. You are the first person that has made me feel that it's okay to put reflection as an actual time block on my calendar. We talk about reflection with students all the time. Yet, for someone at the highest level of this district to not feel as though that was worthy of their time because they were being stretched in so many other directions, I, I think really needs to be a center part of the conversation here to say, why is that not the case? And how can we help our leaders and our teachers not just continue to push forward, but also to pause and be as strategic and effective as possible?
0: So, so as people start to read this book, what is your What's your overall goal or the biggest change you'd like to see in in professional learning and schools?
1: I would love to see the nature of conversations and the way that we structure our time and the way that we collaborate together begin to shift where individuals are comfortable. You know, you noted earlier, what's gonna be the the hardest part of, of this book is you're gonna have to have some tough conversations to do the work well. So a big part of my coaching with teachers and leaders has been providing them with some of the conversation starters, if you will, to begin having some of those those tough conversations to say, do we need to have this meeting? Does this particular appointment need to be on our calendar? How can we make this work as a team more effective? So my hope is that those conversations not only start, but that the work that emerges from them becomes that much more fulfilling. And also effective, that individuals are willing to kind of push boundaries and think about what that collaboration time could look like or what planning time really looks like. Is it just about creating the activity for the next day or is it stepping back to be able to say, okay, which of these components has resonated most for me as a teacher and and also for my students and how do I bring more of that joy into, into the classroom?
0: Excellent. Well, Alison, it's been great to have you on The Authority. And I know this book is brand new. So that's been taking up a lot of your attention lately. But is there anything else you're working on now? Or where can listeners learn more?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So there's plenty of information about the book, as well as some of my other work available on my website at www.thelearningloop.com. I have a number of conference engagements scheduled for the fall and winter months. So it'd be great to connect with folks in person. And there will also be a virtual course coming out in partnership with Pennsylvania ASCD early in 2024. So keep keep an eye out for that one.
0: Excellent. Listeners, check that all out. We will put the links below. You can find the book Still Learning at ASCD.org. You can also learn more about it at Allison's website, thelearningloop.com, or you can also find it wherever you buy your books. So check those out. Those links are there below. Please also do subscribe to The Authority for more author interviews like this one, or visit thePodcastNetwork to learn about all of our 30 plus shows in education. Allison Brunton, thanks so much for being on The Authority.
1: Thank you. I appreciate you having me on.
0: This episode was edited by Gage Sanderson. Do you want to simplify your school's technology, save teachers time, and improve students' performance on state assessments? You can do it all, but don't waste another minute. Head straight to IXL.com forward slash BE to learn how IXL's research proven teaching and learning platform can help you achieve all of these goals. That's IXL.com forward slash BE.